Welcome to the Global Franchise Podcast, intimate conversations with some of the most exciting decision makers in the world of franchising to help you and your business adapt to unprecedented change in our industry. I'm Kieran McLoon, Deputy Editor for Global Franchise Magazine. Today's guest is no stranger to guiding brands through challenging times. Jamie Isaacs, the president of All Points Public Relations, has worked in PR for almost 20 years. Throughout that period, he's aligned himself with some of the biggest names in the game and has helped them to navigate the highs and lows of changing demands and industry-shifting trends. This experience is now more useful than ever as we find ourselves in a global landscape full of challenges and unpredictable change. To help brands find their feet, Jamie produced a four-stage public relations plan and has been working with his clients to enact steps now that will benefit them for months, if not years to come. How should a brand maintain awareness amongst its customers or continue to recruit only the very best when expanding its franchise network? Find out this and more on today's episode of the Global Franchise Podcast. Hi, Jamie. How are you doing today? Well, you know, considering everything you just referenced uh, regarding a, the global, uh, you know, pandemic and the chains in, changes in the way life uh, is, time being, uh, I'm well, thank you. But, um, you know, certainly it's, it's weighing on us all, the, the current setting, and, you know, I'm, I'm mindful of that and it, it's always present. But considering all that, you know, our family's healthy and our business is um, continuing to progress. Yeah, great to hear. I mean, as you say, it's tricky to say that, you know, anyone is particularly as good as they could be at the minute, but it's good to hear that um, that you're still carrying on amidst all this craziness. But um, so as well as I touched on in the introduction, you have been in the public relations industry for, is it around 20 years by this point? Yeah, uh, the career started on the journalism side. I was um, in television journalism as a you know, really what at the time was called a one-man band. Um, today, it's it's a multimedia journalist, and I guess that's what I was back then, too. But in, in the late 90s, I was a television journalist and worked in a variety of markets around the U.S., uh, finished that television uh, in early 2000s, around 2002, and then transitioned into PR uh, here in the Chicago area. I was working in TV in Chicago and then transitioned to um PR with the Hyatt Hotels Corporation, the global headquarters is in Chicago. And really that that's where I got my feel for franchising was with, with Hyatt. They had acquired some companies, uh, some hotel brands that, that they began to franchise. And I really learned a lot about franchising through the, the time that I had at Hyatt. Right. Okay. And then since then, especially when you then uh, joined All Points PR, could you kind of give me an idea of some of the, the key lessons you picked up along that journey? Oh man! Well, you know, I, I preach a lot of a lot of things as uh, you know, as a company leader to our team members, and you know, kind of live by certain um, policies of my own to to form my career. And a lot of that comes down to our one word mission as a company, which is persistence. And it sounds a little gritty and maybe not too strategic, but in everything that we do, developing the strategies, going after the media, um, developing you know outstanding social media, graphic design, copy, um, writing amazing content marketing, you know to me how you do anything is how you do everything, and um, that's the approach we take with everything that embodies our business. And uh, at any given moment, you have the opportunity to win or lose uh, with. Uh, the press with your clients 
and um, you know, with consumers, frankly, and, and other audiences. So when your reputation is at stake at any given moment, I can't imagine doing anything less than the best and, and, and putting your best effort forward. So that, that really is, is how we tackle things as a company. And I think it's why people like working for us, frankly, too, is because we are so into what we do. I had a call with our, with our, our creative and, and digital team this morning, and I, I went through a lot of, of, of the effort that they've been putting in. And, and, you know, in these times when, you know, we're, we're having to do things a little differently and try things for the first time and, and really design and write around, around um, commentary that we've never had to do before, um, we have to believe that um, all of this will pay off and it'll be better for our careers. It'll be better for the agency. And I'm just, you know, doing everything that we can to live by, by those things that have gotten us to where we are today. Um, even when it seems like, you know, the game has changed. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, on the topic of the game having changed and lessons learned along the way, um, your career, you were in PR at the time of the 2008 recession as well. Uh, and I wonder if there's any, are there any sort of anecdotes or things you picked up at that time that you think brands could either apply today, or I suppose, uh, even silver linings, you know, positives that happened at that time of great struggle as well. Sure. When, when our economy, you know, began to shift about, you know, six to eight weeks ago in, in a dramatic fashion, it seemed very different than prior. And I knew it was going to be different. And people were trying to compare it to 2008. Um, but 2008 was, we knew it wasn't going to be as dramatic. And, and if you look at the number of unemployment at the time, at least in the United States, you know, it's about a third of where we're at today. Um, in total from 2008. It's about a third of where we're at today in terms of the unemployment. So, and plus the economy didn't truly shut down. Yes, there was a ton of, of economic loss and huge you know, amounts of relief that were needed for big industry. But um, you know, at the time, it, it certainly was different. Yet you know, to a lot of the players in franchising, meaning franchise investors and franchisors, um, some of the dynamics when it comes to dollars and cents are very similar. And so... Um, you know, that, that's something to keep in mind. But I think if you look at it from a total kind of uh, high level picture in the United States, the, a lot of the dynamics are very different. But if we look at it from a, more of a microscope on franchisee, franchisor investments, uh, some of those things are the same. I think that, you know, franchisors saw opportunity in every cycle that, that, that turns into a downshift in the economy, right? Because there's there's the potential of job loss. There's the ideation behind people that they want to change careers or or maybe they're forced into um, changing their careers. Um, real estate changes, finance changes, uh, human labor capital changes and human capital in terms of the availability of individuals to work at, at different types of franchises. So, you know, if we really put that microscope on franchising, there are several comparisons when it comes to real estate, labor, and finance. And so there was a lot to learn in 2008. And in, in many ways, I think franchisors can be, can be more aggressive and confident in their value proposition to franchisee investors. And I think that comes from the fact that um, they've seen uh, franchisees have seen maybe their um, 
their personal wealth change in different ways and want to put their money into something that is maybe a little more stable and franchising in many ways tends to be more stable than other types of investment. Number two, you have sophisticated and very talented franchisees that um, know how to run and operate businesses. And this maybe shakes out some of those that didn't know how. So, so the availability and opportunity to um, to acquire units and to acquire real estate becomes more available because of the shakeout. And then you have, you know, our finance partners that um, see opportunity as well and maybe are, are able to work with franchisees and franchisors in a different way. So you have those kind of three elements at play that give franchising a, a huge opportunity right now. Again, the availability of, of real estate, you have um, labor change and you have the, the different ways that finance is going to work with us. Um, so I think those are some of the things that stay consistent from 2008 that, that present themselves today. And as we message things on behalf of our franchisors and their franchisees, a lot of that does seem similar. Now you have some things that are, that are uniquely different right now, like the, the true immersion of technology in business processes and marketing systems that, that make it a different way of communicating um, today versus um, 10, 15 years ago. So, you know, things have changed in, in terms of marketing and communications, but some of the dynamics specifically to franchising are the same. Right. And if we're taking that um, very multi-angled approach to to looking at the situation and also, as you mentioned, that franchisors should still be um, aggressively marketing their concepts to investors. It brings us quite nicely to what I, one of the main things I want to speak to you about, which is your four-step franchise development plan. Uh, so this is aimed at franchisors uh, targets both customers but also the franchise development angle so would you be able to walk me through kind of the plan overall and what you think some of the the main takeaways are um, for franchisors from it sure and you know this really comes from our agency's commitment to a campaign approach to everything that we do with our clients so at no given moment are we just you know kind of throwing paint up against the wall and hoping that it sticks you know, our team spent a good amount of time from, I'll say, September of 2019 through the end of November 2019, planning for the first six months of 2020 with our clients, right? With our collection of clients, we're, we're game planning, we're, we're strategizing for how the year is going to be, both on a consumer level, B2C level, and on the franchise development level. And, you know... So coronavirus didn't just affect, you know, the way businesses, you know, are able to operate today. But when we look back at all that we did for the back half of 2019 and the first couple months of 2020, the plan for all of 2020, you know, oh, man, that's a bummer, you know. But, um, you know, the four step process continues that commitment that we have to to looking at our clients and saying, OK, uh, here we are today. Um, we know that. Um, the world is going to look a little different a few weeks from now. We know that the world is going to look a little different maybe six to eight weeks from now, and it's going to look dramatically different four months from now. So we've really mm -hmm. kind of said, let's, we need to rethink our, certainly our second quarter strategy. And, and this is going to bleed into our third quarter strategy because ideally we were going to plan for the third and fourth quarter um, come like late March, early April. That's when we were going to plan for our client's second half of the year. So we, we, scr we scrapped that and said, all right, let's plan for, um, you know, where we are today and how it's going to look um, really in these four stages. Because 
irregardless of what politicians are saying, and maybe some even in the business community and some in franchising, frankly, too, the comeback is not going to be a switch. You're not just going to flip on the economy and franchising and our businesses, um, you know, are back to where we were um, in, in January and February or last December and, and, and prior. Um, it's just, it's going to be a little different. It's going to be slower moving. You know, we get uh, words from our, from our government and, and heads of, of the health departments telling us that, you know, this could come back in full force in the fall. And, you know, we have to be thinking realistically and planning for different phases. So that's really what our approach is. And we have done this on both sides of our clients' businesses, franchise development and, and consumer related. And, and really, um, it takes us through what do brands do? Let's just start with right now where we are. And I'll, I'll talk about it from the franchise development side, if that's where you'd like me to start. Yeah, sure thing. So we're in the midst of it right now uh, with our clients, kind of this, this stage that we're calling stage one during stay-at-home orders, which for the most part, you know, there are a couple of markets that have opened up, but really the most of the people in those markets are still staying at home. Um, and their municipalities, communities, cities are, are maybe giving different guidance than the state is, frankly. Um, so at the moment, we're calling it kind of during stay-at-home orders, and we're saying from a franchise development effort, continue to get connected. For a good number of our clients, one of the ways we're doing that are franchise sales webinars. And it's um, an approach that we're using through email marketing, through paid social marketing, um, through organic social marketing, and through publicity to announce that our clients are hosting uh, online kind of a very intimate setting where a handful of franchisee prospects are joining the franchisor, maybe in the franchisor's home, so it really is intimate, and they're talking to them about their franchise opportunity. Usually, you know, that doesn't happen other than maybe in a phone call that a franchise salesperson will have with a prospect, or maybe they have a, a seminar that they do in a market. But we're really billing this as an intimate opportunity for a handful of people to get together with a franchise sales executive and a franchisee, which I really like our ability to do that right now, too. So we're kind of creating these small panels of a franchisor, a franchisee, maybe even someone from the marketing department, too, to come on board and to talk to franchisees in a very short presentation and then to open it up for Q&A. Um, I think that offers a couple things, really good information, kind of an ask me anything kind of webinar where a franchise prospect can really um, ask franchise uh, ors and franchisee, uh, existing franchisees about what it's like. And it offers really nice franchisee validation uh, because we want to have that franchisee on it as well. So that's one of the things that, we're, that we've really um, begun to do right now that, that is paying off uh, for our franchise clients. And um, that's really our get connected stage one with your leads kind of approach. Instead of just doing it as you always have, make yourself available to be connected to them virtually. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the other recommendation that we've made right now is our care packages. And, um, you know, with your best leads, send a token of appreciation. Um, by the way, a lot of brands have a lot of inventory right now, right? Because they maybe haven't been operating as usual. So use that inventory to your advantage as a franchisor 
and maybe send a care package to your best leads. And we've done that in a couple of cases as well. And that has proven to be a really nice touch point with the leads. Yeah. And then once uh, once we start approaching this period of time where if orders aren't lifted, we're at least nearing some kind of return to, if not normalcy, you know, the freedom of movement. Um, what do you think the next step should be after making those initial connections for franchisors? So yeah, we've built this as kind of a near the end of stay-at-home orders, and we're calling that the share phase. The share phase is, you know, talk to your leads about why you made it, um, how you made it through its, you know, with with your business intact as a franchisor. You know, whether you have 500 locations, 5,000 locations, or five locations, there was a shift, a pivot that you made as a business to why you made it. And uh, m- maybe that is a change in operations, Maybe it's a change in marketing. Maybe it's a change in franchisee support. There's there's several um, innovations and pivots that have happened as to why you made it. I was speaking with a, a coding school yesterday, and they were able to take a, a program that was 100% in person in their schools and within about 10 business days shift their business completely to online And they're going to do their business differently moving forward. They've created new revenue streams for their business that they've never had before by embracing um, virtual classes. So they really think that they can grow their business now because of that and and aren't just thinking about doing things in person. But think about what that offers them in terms of customer base, where they have 20 locations right now in in a select region of the country. They can now have an audience that's nationwide, perhaps, through virtual training. So that's... That was an adaption that they made and uh, and really will help their franchisees get through this a lot better too. Yeah, that's it's, it's, uh, it's a really interesting kind of thing we're seeing a lot with, as you say, education brands and also uh, a lot of fitness brands. You know, they're, they are forced, to, first of all, to close down, but then to offer their services in a more digital space. And I just, it's, it's, it's great to see not only that they can do that, but it is interesting to see whether those kinds of things will then maintain um, in a post-COVID world when things do start opening again. Right. So the key, though, is to, to take inventory of what you've done as a company to continue your franchisees' viability and, and to then share that. And why you made it is really the second phase of, of your process here, sharing that uh, as you get towards the end of, st- of stay at home. And how do you do that? That could be through, again, email, social, press. Um, create those opportunities to deliver to your stakeholders the reason why you come out of this strong. Um, so talking about what you learned and what makes you stronger as a brand now are key. And then once those orders are, if not fully lifted, you know, begun to be lifted, what's the what's the next step that franchisors should take? So this is what we're billing as our nurture phase. Um, so the nurture phase really, again, has three key elements to it. So as you're talking to your franchise leads, it's time to get back to some normal uh, forms of, of marketing that you may have been doing to attract leads before in a, in a comprehensive manner. So, you know, in our case, we are integrating, um, again, the press, the paid social, the organic, the content marketing, just a constant flow of information through email and, and website stuff. And taking into mind that the conversation tone has changed a little bit storytelling will be key. I want to caution against uh, the hard sell um, coming out of this. And, and, and really, while you're still in it, the hard sell has, is a, I would say, is a challenge right now because it's all set against this backdrop of appropriateness and relevancy. 
and appropriateness and relevancy in in the pandemic has a different tone to it than than certainly when we're not in this set of scenarios. So, um, you know, we're saying use storytelling, use attention grabbing advertisements and and paid marketing to uh, really tell the tale of of the franchise opportunity. And I think that reflects on the strength of why you made it through it and the viability of the business through recessions and other types of economic hardships. So so be prepared to to use a storytelling approach as you nurture and grow your lead base. Another you know little out of the box idea is to get out and go a little bit. As travel becomes um, more acceptable and social distancing um, is, is, you know, kind of put on pause or, or maybe ended, get out and see your leads. You have been not, you haven't been spending your, your franchise development budget perhaps, and you might still have that available to you. If you can drive, get on a plane, go and have personal visits with your leads, those that were best, that will make a, a huge difference to your leads. And I also want to encourage in this last phase of kind of nurturing, um, if you're if you're a retail type or restaurant type of franchise or even fitness, give your leads um, a reason to get out of the house and go in and uh, check out your business if you have one near them. Uh, encourage them to secret shop. And then a few months down the line, uh, when there is a, a nationwide uh, lift on the stay-at-home orders, what are some of the key things that franchisors really need to, to nail to um, ensure that you know, smooth transition back to normal business? Yeah, so here we are, you know, let's just say six months from now, hopefully, or, or maybe sooner. Um, conferences are back in full force. You know, it's going to be imperative that you're seen. Um, be there. Maximize visibility by getting to conferences and by um, hosting regional meetings and seminars in markets where you're looking to grow. Uh, it, it is imperative that your, your leads know that you're in it to win it and that you're sincere about franchising with your leads in particular because your, your franchisees may see uh, this as, as more of a, a desperate move than, than a sincere move. When you, when you try to push franchising too hard coming out of a recession. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to look too opportunistic. Looking too opportunistic has a tone of desperation behind it. And you know certainly there will be huge opportunities with the amount of, let's say, corporate and, and seasoned uh, individuals who are looking for something new to do uh, as their careers have shifted. Or as enterprise franchise investors that do this on a regular basis, you know, are, are looking to expand their portfolio. Again, you can't look too opportunistic or too salesy. So really by being sincere and seeing these people in regional meetings and in seminars and in going to industry conferences, they know you're in it when you're there. Um, so do that and, and, and do it in a way that you're able to kind of warm up the lead with some marketing and advertising and emails that are all set against that relevancy and appropriateness leading up to seeing these individuals. So taking an integrated approach throughout the entire process um, you know, be the way to go. Sure. And uh, I noticed that your your four-part plan um, splits both. So a focus on customers and a focus on franchise development. And I know that that split is probably something that a lot of franchisors at the minute are trying to work out, you know, what's more important in terms of um, expanding their network or really focusing on their current core group. Um, do you think that they should be prioritizing either of those or is there de- just sort of a joint importance to both of them? 
when you, and you're referring specifically to, you know, do we, do we, you know, take more care and consideration for our customers or our, or our franchise lead generation? Or are you saying new and existing leads on the development side? Um, let's talk about sort of new and existing leads. Yeah. So the, the current brand, the current franchisees a brand has versus bringing in new, um, new talent to that network. So they, they, they go hand in hand, right? I mean, a franchisor's ability to grow their, their network is very dependent on their ability to keep their franchisees happy and satisfied and supported, right? So um, if you don't have a happy franchisee base, putting a lot of effort into franchise sales is going to prove most likely fruitless because if you have a franchisee come on board in a situation where your your collection of existing franchisees are not happy, it means that that individual did not do their due diligence. It means that they didn't ask questions to your existing franchisee base. So your existing franchise base has got to be happy for you to grow your business. If it's not, then yeah, give all that attention to your franchisee base. Um, you know, there, there, there's never, there's rarely a scenario in a an established franchise business where. Um, every franchisee is 100% happy, but you know a good percentage of your franchisees need to be satisfied, and they have to have um, a strong business behind them. And if that's not the case, then then giving your your leads, um, you know, the the access to your franchisees is not a, a wise move. And do everything you can to have a stronger franchisee base. However, um, we also know that growing a franchise or business is dependent also on selling new franchises. So you have to, you know, kind of weigh both sides. And as long as you have the the foundations of growing your franchise in intact, meaning happy franchisees, proven processes and systems, strong marketing, uh, um, and and a, a a business model that has a lot of value to it, you're more than set to continue to sell franchises and and even market in in the pandemic. Um, one of the things you touched on during the the four stage development plan uh, is the idea behind things being, you know, appropriate and and avoiding that sort of tone deaf marketing, um, both from a customer and a franchise development perspective, when approaching things in this really strange time. Um, how do you think is one of the best ways? to, I guess, spin or approach uh, controversy from a PR standpoint, maybe after the fact. So at the minute, there are, you know, there's stories of um, these vast franchise networks claiming uh, business relief loans in the US that originally were intended for SMEs. Um, how would you kind of go about sort of lessening the the negative out, fallout of that? In all transparency, we, we have clients that, that were in that boat and, and we have clients that have faced other other conflicts as well. Um, I'll start with with that first item that you brought up, and I think for the businesses that that um, applied for the loans that were, you know, maybe had other had other resources available to them because they're public companies, so they had some other formats of liquidity that they could have turned to. Um, they followed what the the government um, set forth and what the financial institutions made available to them. I have a hard time placing blame on businesses that are shut down, whose employees need help for 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 finding reinforcement for their businesses. Um, I, I don't blame them for going after it, frankly. Um, I do blame the, the process that was set forth, though, that was just kind of like, if you have um, a strong 
um, lawyer, an accountant, or a team around you, and you're you know a little more established as a small business, you'll have a better chance of getting the loan than anyone else does. And that's really how it played out, right? It was those businesses that kind of had their act together that were able to go after it before the other ones. And, and I don't blame them for that either, but the process was just um, unfairly weighted against small businesses that don't have a huge infrastructure or an established or an established infrastructure. So the game was not set fairly for them. But when the, you know, and the government didn't take that into consideration, frankly, when they, when they set the loan amount hmm. and at a huge amount of $349 billion the first time through, they, they just didn't um, understand the, you know, the process and who, and, and didn't put policy in place that would prevent public companies or others that had a huge amount of liquidity to turn to and then later clarified it, you know, roughly, uh, you know, about it was last Friday, I think it was, you know, it was about the 20th of uh, 20 or 21st, 22nd of, of April when they clarified, you know, what it, what and who should be open to this. And then you started to see the public companies return money. I mean, they had the backlash publicly, certainly, and they had the, and then the government, you know, started to say Senator Rubio kind of led the charge on this and said, um, you know, you will uh, be in hot water. There was no true punishment said. It just said you'll be in hot water if you don't um, return it and live up to what our intentions were with this. So I, I do think that there was public scrutiny, and I do think some businesses avoided the public scrutiny by by returning it quickly. I think others continued to face public scrutiny and bad publicity because they didn't return it quick enough, and, and maybe that was an issue in terms of the timing behind it. But I don't blame them for submitting for it when when the rules were established and said uh, you can. Because when you think about some of these um, businesses that have three or 400 units, thousands of employees, and none of them are doing anything right now, you know, you, you can't argue against that from a business standpoint. In, in, in another scenario, I can call upon a fitness client that, that really didn't communicate well when the pandemic hit and needed to um, stop invoicing clients. Or in most cases, they don't invoice. They, they kind of do a direct pull from either a credit card or a bank account or something like that. Every month it hits the credit card or the bank account. And, you know, they just didn't stop that. They didn't freeze or, or communicate quickly enough to their members. Would you like to freeze? They didn't provide an option fast enough. So, you know, public scrutiny again from their members, um, it eventually, you know, hit the news and, you know, we worked, we didn't, we weren't brought into the fold with the, with this client until this started to um, occur to them from a you know, public backlash and member backlash standpoint. And then we were brought in and we supported them with messaging and really got to know the story a little bit. And the truth of the matter is that they, they had done some things, they hadn't done everything that they needed to. Um, and it, it becomes a little more complex because they have a third-party billing company that can't just stop billing, you know, for for thirty thousand members in a in a heartbeat. So you know, there's a little more complexity to the dynamics of freezing freezing membership payments. And you know, it, it just took some messaging with with their members, with the media, and it was quickly squashed. But you really had to be on top of it from the beginning to avoid any sort of issue in any sort of business. To overcome that, it takes a level of communication, a little bit of putting your tail between your legs, and then you know, just kind of adding value to your, to your customer base by giving them um, new and unique ways to engage with your brand. And once you do that, um, you, know, you, really, you really can overcome it um, in this case and, and hope to avoid a huge financial loss by having to refund or return payment. 
Sure, yeah. So it seems like a lot of the discontent around, you know, the loans and all these kinds of topics is it mainly comes from these grey areas. But I suppose that comes hand in hand with the fact that this is a completely unprecedented time and brands are reactionary rather than proactively. Yeah, because when you think about when you think about crisis in, in, in a normal setting, it usually is illness, death, criminal activity, those kind of things. And these are not, what we're finding right now are not true criminal activities. They're just lack of communication, lack of action taken fast enough, and actions that are taken within the guardrails of what the government has set, but you know, maybe publicly not the right move to do. So it is, you know, this, these are scenarios that have never been faced before, but they are a little bit gray because um, they're not true crisis. They're not true offenses. They're not criminal. It's not death, destruction, or injury. You know, no one's truly trying to take it. You know, in most cases, we're not seeing, at least in the franchising space, people trying to unfairly take advantage of people. And it's um, it's new. It's new. Yeah. Um, so the last thing I wanted to speak with you about, and I think we did touch on this earlier, but uh, I saw on All Points PR's social media channels that you guys are using things like Zoom to communicate internally and carry on working remotely. Um, and do you think that tools like Zoom and video conferencing that have really seen a surge at the minute with everyone working from home, um, that kind of technology will become a real mainstay for brands, both in terms of you know, in um, within the business, but also uh, communicating with clients. So things like virtual discovery days. Do you think they're going to kind of change the the way that brands interact with the the world around them? So, I mean, video conferencing is. I mean, I remember it from the early two thousands. I mean, it, it was you know done in a totally different way through you know fiber optics or however it was, and and you know big cameras in conference rooms and and you know certainly it's changed to either your your phone your computer I mean, it's much more accessible and we know that people are are using things like this to to stay in touch with family more often than not and friends and have for for several years now using modern technology um, at their fingertips i do think to to me if you're going to you know continue to use um, you know whether it be zoom or 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 facetime or you know other 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 forms of communicating with your with your franchise leads. I do think there are some obstacles to overcome, and um, you know I, I think that you know the internet signals aren't always strong, and if you can't hear or see properly, that is an issue. Um, I do think that for better or worse, some franchise leads aren't that technology aren't that tech savvy or confident and don't feel like they like they can truly get this up on a computer or on their phone to listen to you safely um there are the you know there are the security issues too that we've heard from from several of the the platforms as well recently in terms of video conferencing so i still think in an ideal world if you can convince your your candidate to come to your office that that would be still the strongest way of doing this or to meet at a location, whatever the case would be. I still think in person um, is a stronger lead, is a more solidified candidate, and you can really you know, get to know someone better by, by doing in person. But I do think that, that discovery days and other forms of webinars and, and, um, and one-to-one communication done through video conferencing um, will, will be more prevalent. I think that it'll be you know, probably a, a, a path that people take to save money also to, to not have to travel, hotels, restaurants, 
planes, whatever the case is. So I, I do think that it's it's going to be more prevalent, and I'm not against it at all. I actually think it it's great to embody technology in the process. But I do think a more invested candidate and probably a better interaction will happen in person still. So it seems like there's going to be more of a, a hybrid uh, approach companies can take, whereas you say there's certain means that will reduce costs and make things more convenient. But that interpersonal one-to-one relationship building stuff is still going to be really crucial for franchise development. Yeah. And, and frankly, I mean, where we're at today and where we would have rather been today, I, I want to see people, you know, like I want to be with people, frankly, too. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to go into an office every day that's absolutely empty and into a building that's absolutely empty for the most part. Um, so I do that, but I mean, I miss every one of our employees, you know, we've had four or five conferences get canceled, you know, I wanted to go to that Pearl Jam concert. So I'm angry about that too, Um, (laughs) you know, but you know, so, um, there's several things that, you know, I would rather have done in person. Um, but you know, through the use of technology, I was able to watch a visual representation of the new Pearl Jam album. You know, you can go to a franchise sales conference virtually now, which, you know, is going to happen soon enough. Uh, you know, you can have discovery days virtually, you know, we're, we're having zoom meetings as an agency. Uh, we're, we're hosting our own seminar as an agency. Uh, I run with a couple other people, the Chicagoland franchising association, and we're doing our quarterly meeting today virtually. So we, you know, and we'll have 75 people on that for, on that zoom today. So, you know, all that's very, um, you know, doable. It's just, it's not the same and it's not as credible than as being in person. Yeah, no, definitely. I think we're all looking forward to being able to see people again, but, uh, at the minute, I suppose it is, you know, you just got to do what is safest and that is staying at home, working remotely and using this technology. But, um, well, that brings us to the end of our conversation today, Jamie. So thank you very much for your time. And uh, I hope things carry on going well uh, with you and that you can get back to some kind of normal as soon as possible. Thanks to you as well. And, and to the magazine, uh, you know, we really appreciate all that you guys are doing to pump out content to um, stay connected to the industry. And I think, you know, as long as we all you know have the right approach and the right intention and stay you know relevant and appropriate in all that we're doing that that we will um you know will be a a force as an industry um just as we always have been yeah no definitely well yeah thank you very much for your time jamie all right thank you guys Jamie's campaign-driven approach, as he put it, um, seems like the best way for franchises to approach the uncertainty and unpredictability of COVID-19. As he rightly said, this isn't going to be a sudden switch and restaurants, cafes and gatherings won't suddenly come back in full force overnight. Um, Businesses need to be taking steps at a, a gradual pace and adapting their marketing and offering as the current situation dictates. Uh, While there's definitely been a lot of controversy around how some brands have handled business loans and similar financial topics, um, Jamie made a good point that a lot of this exists within a never-before-seen grey area. Yes, some brands might need to revisit their actions for the sake of positive PR, but few seem to have operated with any kind of maliciousness. Ultimately, it seemed like the focus of our conversation was what Jamie touched on at the top of the episode, um, persistence. Franchise brands should be continuing in any way they can and constantly evaluating the the current situation against what they can offer to consumers and their franchisee networks. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this. 
how has your brand been pushing ahead through these tough times? Make sure to let us know. If you like the podcast, subscribe and recommend it to your friends and colleagues. Or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. To keep up to date with franchise news and have it put into context by the global franchise experts, subscribe to the magazine, hit us up at globalfranchisemagazine.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn today.